on the outside, it looked like I had my stuff together, right? Range Rover, brand new car, 19 years old, making good money. But at the same time, I had a daughter. And at the same time, I'm addicted to Oxycontin. Mm -hmm. And I'm spending money very, very quickly. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Today's episode is sponsored by the Valuation Masterclass Online, the complete proven step-by-step -step online course to guide you from novice to valuation expert. Podcast listeners can claim your amazing 35% discount by going to myworstinvestmentever.com slash deals. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest Daniel Blue. Daniel, are you ready to rock? I am ready to rock and roll. Let's do it. Well, let me introduce you to the audience. Daniel is the owner of Quest Education in the United States. He educates business owners on self-directed retirement accounts to help them accomplish their financial goals. Daniel teaches financial education to business owners to help them understand how to save for the future, protect their assets, save money on taxes, get the funding they need, and eliminate debt. Those are smoking hot things right there. Daniel has worked with over 1,200 business owners as a contributor to Forbes magazine. He's also driven by his passion for helping people shape their retirement dreams into reality. Daniel, take a minute and fill in any further tidbits about your life. Andrew, thank you again for having me on your show. And for me, I've got three dogs, got an 11-year-old daughter. It's funny, this morning, it was picture day. And my wife, she's in California. I live in Las Vegas. So it's just me and my 11-year-old daughter. And she wanted to scream because her hair wasn't done right. And she felt like, with picture day that it needed to be done right. And I'm like, well, just put it in a ponytail. Just have it like you normally do. Dad, it's picture day. I can't have my hair, you know, have it be the same way every day. You don't understand. I'm like, Bella, your, your hair looks beautiful. You're just saying that, Dad. You don't get it. So that was my morning. <laughs> yeah, isn't that beautiful? You could just tell her now, look at Andrew's hair day. <laughs> And he smiles when he goes to picture day. That's right. I just, you know, no matter how much hair I have on my head, I still keep smiling. Yeah, well, it's a good lesson and a good reminder that sometimes when we're young, we build up things to be really important when in fact, they're probably not. All right. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, Tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. So I'm 18 years old and I get a job in sales, doing pretty well right out the gate. I'm making about, you know, eight, nine, ten thousand dollars a month. So you know, six figures and low six figures, obviously, but I'm at the top of the world. I grew up always thinking, well, shoot, if I can make a hundred thousand dollars a year, I'm rich. Right? Like that, I made it. That's the top of the mountain. And once I, I made that happen, I, I felt invincible. And that happened for months and months and months. And right when I turned 19, I'm thinking, 
well, shoot, why don't I just buy a house, right? I mean, the economy's doing good. This is 2007, 2008. I'm at top of the world. Let's keep this rolling. So I end up thinking, well, if I'm making, you know, eight, nine, 10,000 a month, I surely can get a house. I surely can get a mortgage. And at this time, I was driving a Range Rover. I felt that, again, I was invincible, so I could get all of the nice things. So I figure, okay, let me, let me get a mortgage, let me get a house. So I, I go to the very first bank, I get approved for a loan, I put a down payment, I buy a house. And the house I bought was in Utah, it's a $260,000 house. And at this time, I'm thinking, life is perfect, like what could go wrong, right? Well, a lot was going wrong. <laughs> On the outside, it looked like I had my stuff together, right? Range Rover, brand new car, 19 years old, making good money. But at the same time, I had a daughter. And at the same time, I'm addicted to Oxycontin. Mm -hmm. And I'm spending money very, very quickly. For those of you that don't know, here in the United States, I'm pretty sure in Asia and all over the world, Oxycontin is killing people. Mm. It's, a, it's a very dangerous drug. And it's very expensive. It's about $60 for one small little pill. So I'm using this, this drug every single day, and I'm spending thousands of dollars a month. So as you can imagine, Range Rover, house, drug habit, not being very good with finances, I'm spending more than I'm making. And I just start digging myself into a hole. And then we all remember the Great Recession, right? And mm. things just turn south, right? My, my property goes down in value. I end up having to move because I needed to leave Utah to get clean and be able to actually get past all of that and change my environment and no longer be drug free. So I had to move to Nevada and I ended up having to, I lost my house. It was a, a short sale, and ruined mm. my credit, lost all the, the earnings. And that was the huge lesson, huge experience that, that I learned because I never felt that I would lose a house, right? No one buys a house thinking, well, I'm going to lose it three years later, right? Yep. And how long have you been clean now? 10 years. This last November was 10 years. And that is not an easy drug along with meth, you know, to get off of from what I can hear and learn about. Yeah, the physical withdrawals are, are something else. Just think about the worst time you got a flu or mm. food poisoning, right? You're, you're getting the chills, you're getting stomach aches coming out of both ends. So think about it like that, but it lasting for quite some time because your body physically is craving it. So it's a tough period of time in the short term, but then three months, six months, when there's no longer withdrawals, it's the hard part, right? It's okay, six months down the road, something bad happens, adversity hits you, you face a challenge, well, the old me would have just used, right? Mm. That, that, that was my way of, of coping with you know, life. That was my mechanism in masking everything. And now when you're sober, it's okay, you got to deal with life, be a big boy, be an adult without having to rely on, on this, you know, the drug. So mm. um, that was hard too. Yeah. So tell me the lessons that you've learned from this. So when I bought this house, I, I don't even remember looking at the interest rate. I don't remember thinking about an exit strategy. Okay, I went by this house. How long do I plan on living here? Right. And I had no idea that we were at the top of a market, a bull run. Right. I had no idea that we were at the peak. I had no idea, you know, about 2000 and 2001 with that market downturn. And then here we are six, seven, eight years later, and we're at the pinnacle of the market. I had no idea I was buying high. And at the end of the day, if I'm buying high, but I plan on being there for a really long time, then that's a different strategy. Right. Mm. I, I had no 
thought, I didn't put any energy into thinking, okay, how long am I going to hold this asset for? And you know, what is my exit strategy? Those thoughts did not come in my mind and I beat myself up because I'm thinking, man, if I just would have known about the market and some of those factors that you know, led to that downturn, I probably wouldn't have made a decision to buy a house at, at that stage. Mm, mm, gosh. Yeah. And let me say some of my takeaways from your story. The first one is the idea of, you know, following the Joneses, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. And there is an image of kind of what is success in America. And I challenge the listeners to throw that out the window, create the success that is sustainable, create the success that's based upon, you know, what works for you and don't be driven by, you know, what society says is success. And I think if you get caught up in that, the risk that you run is that you do in fact chase a dream that leads you to emptiness or leads you to disaster. So I think my first lesson for that is, and I, you know, I think one of the ways that I've done that over the years and in one of my books that I wrote about investing in the stock market, I said, take pride in living deeply below your means. That was not something that entered my mind. I was an idiot, right? I'm thinking, well, if I'm making 10 grand a month, then my mortgage is $1,967 a month. Yep. I still remember that to this day, right? But at the end of the day, it was just a bonehead decision because I would have been much better off, you know, investing that money somewhere else or, you know, having an emergency fund or buying a house where my mortgage is only $1,100 and not buying such a nice house. And just like you said, just living below, you know, the means, but it's just, it's easy to see what's on the outside and see other people living a certain way. But at the end of the day, we don't know that person that's filling up their gas right next to you and has a BMW or Mercedes and a nice watch. They might look like they have it all together, but you know, they might be swimming in credit card debt. They might have a 600 or 550 credit score. They might not have any assets or true wealth. So you never know. Yeah. And that brings me to another lesson that I learned from somebody many years ago. They said, don't compare other people's outsides to your insides. And I really, you know, what I've come to learn over the years is that, you know, everybody's messed up, but not everybody appears messed up. And even the people that appear to have it all together, I mean, just take one of the most dramatic examples, Robin Williams, brilliant mind, successful to the nth degree. And something was so messed up inside of himself that he killed himself. So I think that I always try to remember don't compare other people's outsides to your insides. Also, we have an intimate knowledge of our insides and our weaknesses. And so therefore we can actually blow them up, you know, massively sometimes. So I would say that that's my second thing that I take away. And my third thing is that, you know, if you have addiction and you don't overcome it, problems will just get worse. And I know this, Daniel, from my own experience, I, I hit bottom in my own addiction in 1982. I went through three different rehabs and got into a 12-step program and got clean and sober. And now it's 38 years later where I've been clean and sober that whole time. 
no matter where I am in the world, no matter what people I'm around, no matter if I'm in China where everybody's tipping glasses and making a cheers and it's the culture to drink, but I have used what I learned over those years and what I learned from the 12-step program to apply those things to keep my sobriety. And what I learned also, and this is, you mentioned about the period after someone comes off of addiction, the physical withdrawal, you know, it's exciting and it's fantastic, but unfortunately you're presented with an awful picture and that is the picture of yourself and myself at that time, which was a pretty scary, depressing, you know, picture that I didn't know how to deal with. And that's where those 12 steps and other things and the people around me helped me to rebuild myself so that I wasn't, you know, the person I used to be. So I just want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing openly, you know, about your addiction. I know you're not alone. And now you know that I've been through the same thing. Well, congratulations, 38 years. I mean, that's, that's, that's quite a feat. And I think you can probably relate to me when I say I wouldn't trade it from the world. Unfortunately, I made a lot of bonehead decisions 10 years ago, 11, 12 years ago. You know, when I was using, I hurt people. I, I lied. I, I made just bad decisions, right? And I hurt a lot of people along the way. But I feel like that gave me an education and it taught me about mindset and grit and, you know, doing the right thing and making the right decisions and just, you know, we, we know success can be a horrible teacher, right? Failure is an awesome teacher. And, and I failed a bunch, you know, when I was using and I wouldn't trade it for the world because it, it taught me some lessons that I was able to extract and I use even to this day. And it's something I'm truly grateful for. Yeah, I can echo that. Just one street over, there's a church in my neighborhood here in Bangkok where there's a 12-step meeting and, you know, I can go there anytime and get a refresher on how I can improve myself and my thinking. So it's great to have a, let's say, a format or some sort of plan for life that I'm able to follow. So I feel the same way. All right. Well, based on what you learned from your story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? You just do more research and know your options, right? You know, before I bought a house, I should have done more research and figured out other options that were out there versus just, you know, taking, taking action really without putting a whole lot of thought into it. So, you know, just kind of like our business and, and the industry that I'm in where we help people access money in their retirement account without penalties and taxes, know your options, right? You know, I talk to clients where they take out 50,000 to start a business and they pay a bunch of penalties and taxes. And then once I tell them we could have helped them take that 50,000 with no penalties and no taxes using the strategies we teach, they're like, man, where were you two years ago? Well, again, with my house, I didn't know my options. I didn't mm -hmm. research. I didn't take a step back and compare some other strategies. So really, really just knowing your options and using less emotion and, and more logic. And, and I've analyzed all of the stories of loss that have come my way through this podcast. And I've categorized six different common mistakes. But the number one common mistake, most common by far, is failed to do their research. So this is a great lesson to stop and do your research before you move. All right, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? 
get my book out there. I am probably 70% done with my book it's about uh, the power of self-directed retirement accounts and, and how people could get more creative and, and access money in their IRAs and 401ks without paying penalties and taxes. So I never thought of myself as writing a book. I never thought of myself as you know speaking. I never thought of myself of getting on a podcast. But at the end of the day, as, as entrepreneurs, we got to be uncomfortable. We got to take action and do things that might not give us all of the confidence or make us feel the warm and fuzzies and comfortable. But you know, you've got to be comfortable being uncomfortable, and you know, writing a book is one of those things. Yes, as I said at the beginning, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, and to win in life, you must take risk. So, congratulations on that goal, and I think we'll all look forward to getting that book. All right, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end, Daniel, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. And I also want to commend you for your bravery to share your worst investment. And you truly did share it all. And I want to say that when we share our worst investment, it takes our worst investment and turns it into our best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? No, I really love what you're doing. As I said before we got on the show, I love all the content you're pushing out there and and bringing a lot of the information in the financial world to the limelight and helping people see all of that. So keep doing what you're doing and, you know, talking about failure, I think more and more people need to do that, right? Because especially with social media these days, it's all highlight reels, right? It's all, you know, warm and fuzzies and, and rainbows and sunshine. And as we just have discussed, that's not always the case. I think if more people could actually be truthful and, and talk about failures, I think people would actually realize that they're not alone and there's lessons that we can extract from those different failures. Right on. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our well fellow risk takers. I'll see you on the upside.